iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Okay, everybody, uh, before we begin, we'd like to show you and hope you enjoy the trailer, trailer for Amelia. When I was a little girl, I'd spend hours just dreaming that someday I would go to strange, faraway places. Miss Amelia Earhart. Why do you want to fly? I want to be free. I'm going to fly around the world. It can't be done. Well, let's change that. If you do make it, you will be the first. I'm a flyer pursuing my passion for the fun of it. There's more to life than being a passenger. Everything about you is a menace. Spoken by a man who should know. Lots of people are quite taken with you. How can I lose? If you miss this island, you're out of fuel with 2,000 miles to go. I understand the danger. I can handle it. You wouldn't sell a salesman, would you? No one has made it. I will. Did you receive transmission? I'll make it. I know I will. I'll go tell the world you're on your way. Please welcome our moderator for tonight, David Schwartz from the Museum of the Moving Image, and filmmaker Mira Nair. Let's hear it for him. Well, welcome, and uh, congratulations on a great movie. Amelia is, is so many things in this um, movie. It's a, a movie about somebody who was the most famous person in America for, for about 10 years, um, incredible aviator, it's, the movie's a romance, it's, an, it's a thrilling film, even though you sort of know the ending, it it's, has an incredibly thrilling ending, um, it's got so many things to it. Um, Can I take you with me wherever I go? Okay, sure, that's the commercial <laughs> for the film, but, but it's, um, tell us, uh, first of all, just to sort of set the stage about Amelia Earhart. Tell us about how famous she was at the time, how big she was. I don't, think, I don't know if people remember, um, and, and your movie is going to certainly change that, but if people remember how big she was in this period from 1928 to 37. Well, Amelia um, had, her, had this very charismatic man, George Putnam, fall in love with her early on. He was the one who chose her to be the passenger on the first friendship flight across the Atlantic. And then he f proceeded to fall in love with her, and she rejected him many a time until she f finally married him. But what George Putnam was extraordinary for was he was a, a great publisher, uh, and he invented what we now know as public relations. So he saw in her a p completely marketable product, right. which he proceeded to go 
all out for. So in order for her to fly, because neither of them had real big money to afford these planes, he sort of made her endorse things like waffle irons and she created her own fashion line and she created, she sold luggage, she sold <laughs> cameras. I mean, she became what we think is so commonplace today, the, the cel right. celebrity who endorses product. And she was the first one to do that through Putnam. And, uh, who's played and by Richard Gere. Who's played the, by Richard Gere in the film. And, yeah. and, and you know, and, and Hilary Swank, of course, plays Amelia. And um, the extraordinary... So I, I guess her fame was deeply inspiring, iconic. It was also during the Depression, so she became a kind of beacon of hope to, to, to the country, which was pretty battered at that time. Uh, but so she would be as famous as, you know, Angelina Jolie here today, you know, in that sense, because right. she was, um, but she was an extraordinary person who believed in this crazy thing called flying in a time before planes were what they are today. And one thing that you really capture in the film is that as sort of famous as she was on the ground, she loved just being in the air. She did it because she just loved the thrill of it, the excitement yeah. of being up there. And you, it's almost like an artist would, would love you know, an ex artistic experience. Could you talk about that aspect? Well, for me, uh, actually, to say yes to a film like this, I mean, I did, I did so for many reasons we can go into. Yeah. But one of the things I loved was how do I tell a tale that is an at utterly modern tale about the seesaw that all of us live in, especially women and men as well, of how do you balance your passion with your responsibility, you know? And that was the balance of Amelia or the striving for balance. It was not always balanced because she truly felt this ecstasy of the sky right. and she also felt a great responsibility to the earth and preferred the sky, of course. We all <laughs> prefer our passions. But how does she walk that tightrope at a time when women were not expected to do much more than bake cookies. Now, you know? of course, when you're talking about her, for anybody who's followed your career, it sort of sounds like what you've done, because you, when you started making films with Salam Bombay, which was, came out in, uh, in 1988, um, there weren't a lot of women making films, and you have had incredible success and in gone around the world, now met with your films, so you must have felt some connection to, you personally... To Amelia. I mean, I think if I, in some ways, not in the grand ways that you say, <laughs> but in some ways, because Amelia, like me, uh, I, we, came, we came from very small towns. I come from a town that Indians don't even know called Bhubaneswar, Orissa. <laughs> very beautiful town with 2,000 temples, but then we were not on any kind of tourist map. And I remember when the first airport was established, I was about 10 years old. And we would run as, as entertaining uh, entertainment for the evening to the airport fields and watch these fucker friendships land and take off and I knew I would be on that plane one day and I wanted to see the world, I, I knew it and I think uh, Amelia used to write that uh, you know, flying was a way to annihilate distance and to bring the world closer right. and so on but she also as an 8 year old really had a dream, she, her father gave her a globe and, and she used to count the countries as a kind of lullaby to herself so she used to spin tales about Morocco and Spain and this and Argentina and Zanzibar I mean, she was a worldly child and that really, really attracted me. And what was the main sort of, um, I guess, research for you? This there was, there's, you know, the books that she wrote, and there's all, all these books about her. There's film footage of her, of course, from the time. So how did you the, sort of work on that? Uh, thanks to George Putnam and to her becoming <laughs> right. very famous, there's reams of real Amelia around. And so there were 
extraordinary newsreels of the period in which she's interviewed and talking as well. Um, there's a, he made her write everything down. He made her write books. I mean, the, uh, 20 hours. Um, the, anyway, and many yeah. books, like For the Fun of It, which is her great book right. on flying on every single flight. So I loved her writing. It was very quizzical, wonderful turn of phrase. She would say things like, you know, um, I fly for the fun of it. You know, I mean, right. you know, why, why, somebody asked her, why do you want to fly? And she says, why does a man ride a horse? I mean, you know, because I want to. And I like that kind of play. <laughs> talking and yeah. and you know not making it fancy and yet not sort of genderizing everything you know as a woman I feel like I should climb the mountain no she wanted to fly she loved the adrenaline of being in the air and looking at the, you know moving in three dimensions and I love that about her that she actually did hold a flag for women and she did a lot like that like she had to be bigger than herself but she wasn't you know being pretentious about these grand things it was she a passion to do the fun and she, yeah. and she was just wanting to do it and, and Hilary Swank, so could you talk about getting her involved in the film? Because it's hard to imagine anybody else doing that role now that, you know, we see her. And, um, you know, she had done a film, uh, Million Dollar Baby, where she's a boxer, which is also supposed to be, you know, permanently for, for men. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she, fortunately, when they offered me uh, to direct Amelia, it came with Hilary as Amelia. And I was as interested as I was in Amelia, I was equally if not more interested in working with Hillary because she is you know I call her a spiritual daredevil you know in that sense she's a lot like Amelia she really is a daredevil in her bones and she has the consummate skill and professionalism about her craft so she doesn't uh, let you see the preparation you know it is really kind of an embodiment of the character rather than the outward appearance, which of course she crazily shares with Amelia Earhart. I mean, the look, physical look. But yeah. it took a lo- it took half, uh, it took a month, uh, one month at least, to perfect that. The right. the artless, the artful artlessness of, <laughs> of her windblown hair and well, so she on. doesn't have the freckles. You had to do fre- like maybe freckles. Four hundred and fifty freckles a day. A day, uh, every day. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> perfect continuity on the freckles. And uh, we had a freckle master. I mean, she was amazing. You'll win the Academy Award for freckles. Uh, well, yeah. makeup, I think. The makeup is extraordinary. <laughs> because we not... The freckles are just one element. But we have the looks on Hillary because the whole movie for all those who are definitely going to buy tickets here to come see it the whole movie is shaped around her final flight so she takes us in the j- cockpit with you is sort of my intention as we go around the world with her and then we weave in like like uh, like airplane riding does through without mem- you know like as an almost like a dream memory the contents of her life chronologically but in and out of the narrative spine of the final flight. So the makeup actually is vastly subtle and different from place to place as she leaves this sort of English rose complexion becoming a burnished and more and more tanned, brown, dusted, fantastic look she has by the time she's on her well, final the, flight. Well, the movie yeah. in so many of its details is, is a physical experience. Yeah. You did a, it's a widescreen, yeah. you know, cinemascope film. Uh, one of the stars of the movie in a way is the airplanes themselves. Absolutely. So absolutely. could you talk about, there was this, uh, I guess the, the main plane that she flew, you had to 
track down? Oh, I mean, yes. You, you didn't use, do computer graphics for... The, I mean, yeah. this was something I really wanted to... Uh, firstly, I chose to work in anamorphic, in the widescreen, you know, uh, format because of the planes. There was nothing else format in the, in the film, uh, you know, that would give us the width, literally the yeah. beautiful expanse of the wings of all these planes right. from the Friendship, which is the first... Fri- uh, plane she flew across the Atlantic uh, to the Vega, and but especially to the Electra, which is the plane that she died in, which is an extraordinary masterpiece of Art Deco design, as well as incredibly you know, gleaming. And there's only 10 of Electras in the world now. And we have used all real sort of vintage planes in this movie. We built yeah. the interiors, but we used the real thing. And, so, and we shot them in the real places. So there's no computer fest going on besides certain things but essentially you are what what you're seeing is real you know and that's a big difference to the whole adrenaline visceral quality of flying Uh, i just met this morning uh, a a member of the 99s which is the the first uh, female aviation club that uh, amelia formed of 99 members now they're all over the world and today Mm. we met with all the 99s in the morning and there was a woman who had flown around the world in a smaller plane than the electra recently and that's what she noticed about the film she said you really feel in the film that you're actually flying over this extraordinarily dizzying expanse of the Pacific or the Atlantic and the dust and the the sort of jugular that you have when you're yeah. flying, she said she was all there. We're so I, that used was to like the idea music that, to my ears. Yeah, because you know? yeah. we're so used to the idea that the world is, is small now mm-hmm. and everybody's interconnected, but you, you really show what it's like to before, really... Yeah. Before all that. And, and, you know, our desire to fly in the beginning and then yeah. what we are now. And it was Amelia Earhart and Jean Vidal who established what we now know as the shuttle between Boston and New York and Washington, okay. which we just jump on as a commuter bus now. But then they, they started it. Uh, and, you mentioned uh, Jean Vidal, who is, um, in real life, was Gore Vidal's father. But he was an um, aviator who... Um, fell in love with Amelia and one of the modern aspects of the film is the relationship it's a love triangle and Amelia is very open about um, even though she agrees to marry I don't want to give too much the plot away but she gets into a marriage but she it's a very modern kind of she has a very modern attitude towards I mean I think Amelia wrote the first prenup contract that existed really you know? <laughs> I'm just joking, but okay, but, it, uh, but, but it's true. I mean, she she, but, she yeah. gave George Putnam uh, a letter the right. morning of their wedding or the night before their wedding day, saying, you know, this, uh, you know, I just want to make clear that I um, really, I really resisted marriage because it will keep me away from that which I love most, which is flying. But if we are to marry, I must be able to uh, go away from the confinements of even an attractive cage. Unquote. Yeah. And then she says about that she doesn't believe in the medieval code of fidelity and and you know so she must be allowed to wander as yeah. he must i yeah. mean it was a pretty hard bill to swallow but he, he as he said to her he said brutal in your frankness and beautiful in your honesty or something he's returned uh, he was you know but he agreed to marry her and then it was painful when she uh, started up with jean vidal but she understood um you know she she, she she's human and complicated and, and yeah. very interesting i think for it yeah. yeah, and um, well, I, I can't. I, I keep wanted, wanting to talk about what happens in the movie. I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but you really see the passion that builds uh, with her and Vidal. I mean, you really feel it. Um, and so much of the movie is about sort of Amelia and her desires. It's about a woman who's following what she wants in every aspect of her life. In that sense, you know, I mean, 
I want the film and she is such an inspiration. I mean, you say yeah. to, you want to make a film, you want to be in that person's company you yeah. know, for two years. And Amelia really, when I finished the film, and it's, it's a, it was a long and epic journey because the film is very consciously an epic film. Yeah. Uh, at the end of it, I looked at it and I finally felt, you know, a force of nature was in the film. And mm. I, I thought maybe that's the blessing we have from Amelia because she really was uh, a force of nature. It's a different kind of performance for Richard Gere, you know, who, so, because um, there's a, a kind of, uh, you know, obviously maturity as he's growing older, but it's, it's um, a different Richard Gere than we've seen in the earlier films. So. I'm glad you noticed that. I mean, I yeah. find that it's sort of a meditation, sort of meditative performance, you know, yeah. and I really appreciated that. I mean, I think he really didn't expect to enjoy himself so much, you know, in mm. the beginning when it, we, we shot a lot of stuff in North America and then moved to South Africa where we did the whole final flight. And by the time he came to South Africa, there was a real uh, calm and depth to him, um, which was beautiful. And I think he really uh, sort of went on this journey with us in a very yeah. full-on way. Because you see a change in him. He's sort of cocky in the beginning, but he realizes that he's got a... He really does love her. I yeah. mean, they're similar, which is why they're together, but that's also why they're, they can't stay together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we um, open it up? If people have questions, uh, we have a microphone. So just feel free to raise your hand, and we'll bring you the microphone. Okay, this one right down here, right in the front first row. So this is a lot more special effects. I mean, you've never done anything like this before with planes <laughs> and crashes, and so how was that? Planes and what else? Oh, crashes. Crashes. More that yeah. crash scene. I mean. It a little breaks my heart to see it this way. I mean, but that is a big, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, we just prepared it the hell out of it. And, you know, I have a 17-year-old son. And when I said yes to making this movie, I said to him, I promise I'm not going to make a movie that feels like homework. I'm going to make an action adventure because, God damn it, she was an adventurer, you know. So I wanted to do it full on. I'm, I've got that, I mean, I'm unabashed in that way, you know. So, yeah, if it was a crash, it was going to be the best crash you ever saw. <laughs> and if it was good, and even the last 20, 30 minutes of it, you know, are basically a dramatization of the actual final transmission between Amelia and the you know, and the where she was supposed to land and and the Itasca. And it was it's so I mean, truth has always been my treasure in terms of uh, you know, so and nothing is more powerful than that truth. Uh, and to dramatize that, I also really wanted to make it like, you know, cliffhanging, like you're really at the edge of your seat and a lot of people have told me that when they, they know, I mean every whole world knows she goes down, right? But by the time you're in that, that you just think maybe she's not going to go down, you know? Because and it is a movie after yeah, all, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, and I love that because so basically I really worked hard and had a fantastic team but my same team, the same team that makes the namesake and Monsoon Wedding and all my films. It's a film family. It's not like, you know, you make a big budget film and you call up the pros at Hollywood. You know, these are pros. And we just have to work night and day. I mean, 18 months of absolutely epic amount of work where everything you see is deeply and well planned, executed, maximized is my favorite word, and then we shoot it. And, and I, it was a big budget film, but not as big a budget as what appears on screen because... That's the trick, is how to make it look like we had everything we wanted, you know. But it was obviously very carefully orchestrated, plotted, and done. And I had a terrific team, and you're nothing without your team, basically. Okay. Um, over here. 
Hi, I love the namesake. It's one of my favorite books, and the movie was beautiful. You did an awesome job in making it so intimate and intricate, like the book, very detailed. But how did you switch over your mindset as a director to do something so personal, like your previous movies, to something so epic and sweeping and gaping as this? Well, you know, I'm a filmmaker, and it's an incredible privilege to express myself in cinema. And I never... Uh, even in my, I mean, I never like to repeat myself. That because making films is such an obsessive task, and often you make it at the, uh, you you put other interests aside while you're making. And I have a full other life of gardens and children, and you know, and and running a film school in East Africa, and a whole bunch of stuff I do. So, the film's got to be great for me to want to make it. You know, um, and but yet it's about flexing muscles and doing something you've not done. And often I say yes to a bigger studio film if it allows me to have a vast, a bigger canvas of even just in cinema. You know, so this was a great. Uh, but mostly it was Amelia really who made me say yes to it because she's such a she's such an interesting character and an en- enigma to boot. You know, um, and Hillary is just so consummate. But um, I really am interested uh, in the worldliness of her ideas and I wanted to bring that world to the screen and I wanted to bring it uh, in this sort of way where we had anamorphic, we had the way of really maximizing these amazing birds that fly, the planes. Uh, and I would have those facilities and make it larger. But the essence of real cinema is the same thing, human emotion and, and people you understand or you don't understand or you reap what they are trying to do or you don't, you know. So I think Amelia will work if you tell me, you know, that you understand her, Amelia Earhart's sort of beating heart and her paradoxical behavior and her, uh, you know, her inspiring thing but really in a way it was also very focused on her own desire to fly this is what she wanted to do and she'll do it and sometimes it's at the risk of other things and I, if you if you go on that journey with me in the film then it's the same filmmaker who made the namesake uh, you know as as this film it feels like a very intimate film it's an, it's an epic it gives you all the you know excitement of an epic and mm-hmm. all the detail but it feels very intimate you Thank know, you, I mean, because which I think is yeah. why the ending is so like people get so wrapped up in it because you are so attached to all the different people involved yeah. and you kind of understand what's going yeah. on with them. And you know, ultimately, like Amelia used to say, I, I do this because for the fun of it. <laughs> ultimately, I, I have to make a movie that I want to go and see. You know, like I, that one takes me on a journey and shows me the world. Really makes me feel the dust of the the the, uh, the, the adrenaline, the the whole excitement and thrill of flying. You know, that's a wonderful thing. If I can really transport you in that dimension, that's beautiful. And cinema can do that in a way not much other mediums can. Okay, there's a question right over here. Thank you. Hi, I actually have two questions. One is, do you go into it all, what I, the issue that I've heard that she was underprepared or not up to the task of flying around the world? And two, do you investigate at all what has been talked about often was that she really was a gay woman and that the marriage was a marriage of convenience and her real life in terms of her love life was hidden? Was what? Gay. Hidden. And she was hidden. homosexual. Um, the... The first que- uh, question about her, whether she was had the ability or not, I totally, we go into it. Because that was absolutely the tenor of the day. The fact is, George Putnam kind of took her under his wing and then fell in love with her. And not uh, the other flyers who had 
wonderful track records never had a george putnam so it's not like we put all the fame and fortune that she received for on george only but you know we definitely bring to mind the critique of the day as well you know some a, a reporter after she crashes the electra in the scene says to her you know people say you're reckless uh, you're a better celebrity than a pilot you know what do you have to say to that and she and those were all real questions and she said oh, i fly for the fun of it my boys that's what i do you know she deflected them like perfectly so yes in that way definitely um and secondly you know i actually hunted everywhere i could seriously to really deal with this rumor of bisexuality or this other life or i re- that's the that's the stuff i get excited about but i don't know whether who did the whitewash job or who did what job but there is not a shred of evidence that i could read of any kind of significance which really proved there was one that she had this hidden life however i hope you see the film because there's a beautiful scene which completely evokes all this these ambivalences yeah <laughs> and uh, and i so i have in my way which i think is pretty direct but also very like amelia wood you know speak and actually it's a lot about me as well because i just love women and i just i am i'm not you know i'm not gay but i love women and i love that way of living in the world and i amelia loved women and so it's a scene about loving women there's also a, there's a great friendship with um, eleanor roosevelt that oh, she had oh it's a great friendship yeah. yeah and which we have a very very enchanting scene there's a beautiful uh, children's book about amelia and eleanor go for a ride it's a beautiful book where you know amelia it's a true story of <coughs> at a white house dinner with their full white cocktail gloves on she just on a lark invites elena to fly at night <laughs> and they go off flying and it's fantastic yeah <coughs> okay um anybody else <coughs> over here there's one over there hello hi um i had a question for you uh regarding uh the role of a uh, female's in film it seems that every film that you've done so far uh, at least for me it just you kind of uh make us look at women in film differently and also how stories are told from different women's point of view like the namesake um the mother's uh point of view was kind of given in a way and then also monsoon wedding so in this one what different type of point of view were you trying to maybe capture that we might not think about when we think about Amelia Well I think you know this whole idea of having a dream that was considered a dance of death at the time in the 20s and the 30s but having the single mindedness at to achieve it you know but also having the grace to live a full life but how do you keep your eyes on the prize and keep going you know and she was an extraordinary example of that in a time which where women were not supposed to be thinking of anything else you know you know and i think if you get if i had managed to have you feel that madness feel that ecstasy feel the also the pain and the conflict of trying to resolve the earth and the sky as i say uh, it, then i think that's a po- great point of view because that still continues to be anyone's struggle today you know so if amelia i really think her fire and her 
being a real believer in being fully fully engaged with life uh, and death actually um gives us a lot of of uh, i think just juice energy to to believe in what we believe in today and realize that now we don't have those restrictions that amelia commonly and everyday faced but today we really have to uh, seize the moment and live what we believe in that's what she taught us and that's what a lot of women you know have taught us uh, but it's nice to remember them and to remember them as a you know all warts and all you know like the humanity of them which is much more complicated than sometimes the the icon you know the icon that we always see on stamps you know could you tell us a bit about your school uh, um in Africa that you mentioned in the beginning because you know you're obviously interested in um empowering people to to make their own films and tell their own stories and Yeah. Well, sure, I love to talk about Maisha. <laughs> Maisha is the name uh that I was going to give uh, my daughter uh, until I had a son. So, uh, this name was going a begging and it's a Swahili word uh that means uh, zest for life, a lifeist, being intoxicated with life like Amelia is and I am. Um so Maisha became the name of our school. Basically, I've lived in East Africa ever since I made uh, Mississippi Masala, which I started in 18, 1989, and I live in Uganda and I intend to pretty much grow old there uh and uh you know because i live there perhaps i get offered sometimes whenever hollywood chooses to make a film set in africa it usually comes my way and uh and i just was getting really tired of a seeing so little of the africa that i know that i live in uganda specifically on screen and then uh, whenever we, the occasional times we do see africa on screen it's always made by uh not someone who is african so nothing no images were coming to me that in any way represented the kind of dignity and beauty and power of my everyday life in uganda you know and so i set up maisha with a bunch of us very committed folk and we set up a free school uh, uh um where we where i invite writers and directors from all over the world uh, to come and work with our students who are, who come from Rwanda, Kenya, Tanzania and Uganda mm-hmm. and it's uh, we we give about 48 fellowships for every summer institute which is a 6 week boot camp of mm-hmm. cinema that we choose uh, three scripts out of the students and then the students produce direct shoot edit complete and cast everything create these 320 minute movies every year and then all year round our mentors go to the four countries and teach the art of screenwriting so that the pool of applicants to our summer lab is more and more each year so the idea is to create local film culture and mm-hmm. to create it very at high standard uh, and to create it free at the moment um and the mantra the the basis belief basic belief of maisha is if we don't tell our own stories no one else will mm-hmm. and i'm actually very grateful to the apple store at one point we were chosen to be the charity of some of of choice and they gave us six editing suites uh, for apple so i'm very happy to be here <laughs> to thank you again because um it's an extraordinary uh, extraordinary pulsating place maisha and now we have a substantial grant that i'm raising matching funds for so that we can actually physically build our school right. yeah and you actually uh, we have time for okay. two more questions okay two more questions so one right over here okay Uh I've been an enormous admirer of you for a long time. I live in Brazil. I'm from Brazil. Oh. And your movies do get there, which was wonderful. I'm thrilled. And <laughs> and now here, right now, I uh my admiration grew exponentially because I couldn't imagine that 
besides doing those, making those beautiful movies, those great movies, very well done, uh, you are a mother and uh, you direct a school yeah. <laughs> movie. Well, uh, I have a lot of amazing people who run it and do it, but I'm very much uh, uh, the, the shepherd. there, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I would like um, to hear something about your story. About uh, you, you touched it briefly in the beginning, but uh, how was your beginning in <clears throat> making movies and how did you brave the, you know, Hollywood's... Uh, Woods, <laughs> you know, that kind of... Hollywood Woods. Um, well, I, um, I began um, in... Uh, kind of began in political theater. Uh, I, I was in a theater group in Calcutta and in Delhi uh, where we worked together with a bunch of actors when I was like 16, 17. And we would uh, make our own plays and then we would take them out on the streets and engage the public, you know. And... and um, I used to think I was an actor. And I'm not a bad actor, but uh, I went to, uh, I, I rejected scholarships to study abroad b uh, in England because they had colonized us for too long. And uh, so, uh, and I went to university in Delhi. And then I, I used to pursue uh, acting. Uh, I always played the boy in my Irish Catholic convent school where I went to school. I was always daddy long legs and a captain of HMS Pinafore. And then I became a woman, uh, you know, when I went to college. Uh, uh, but then I, uh, I actually saw a love story on screen and saw this institution that looked like it had money to give a scholarship student in India. And I applied to Harvard, uh, where Ryan O'Neill was cavorting about with Ali McGraw in Love Story. And I, I know I'm telling a story but uh, it's true uh, and uh, and got a scholarship a full scholarship to come to Harvard and I was 19 years old 18 and a half and I left my home in in East India and um, and came here for the first time leaving my country to to the school in Cambridge Mass and there uh, the theater was really uh, like dull and so I used to come to New York City to La Mama this extraordinary avant-garde theater uh, still continues uh, East 4th Street and hang out and watch the people I admired like Peter Brook like Lisbeth Suedos like uh, Joseph Chaikin whom I worked with for months uh, and many many theater people and then I used to go back to Cambridge and they had I didn't know what to study, and I studied the most related thing, which was cinema verite filmmaking, which was taught by none other than Ricky Leacock, who, who founded Cinema Verite uh, with the Penny Baker. And I used to stalk Ricky and Penny Baker. Now they are very close friends of mine uh, for, for a long time. And I w ended up working, well, uh, studying with one of them. And... Uh, you know, found my hook in documentary filmmaking. And for about seven years, uh, made films in India of, uh, you know, strippers and street kids and all kinds of things that, uh, people that interested me. But really in the old cinema verite classic way, where you find a character, you live with them, two months later you bring in the camera and sound, you hope something interesting is going to happen, and then <laughs> you shoot it, and then uh, eight months later you make your own film of that. You know what I mean? Anyway, it's a very painstaking but pure form of cinema. And uh, I made these films for about eight years and then, uh, you know, uh, used to struggle to find audiences for them and then got... And I was supposed to be fairly successful, but documentaries in the 80s, I mean, you can't find people. My parents wouldn't come to my films, you know. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and then I decided to, God damn it, want an audience, you know. And so I, I was very inspired to make a film on street kids because I used to hang out with them making these other films. 
and decided to make it in a fictional way. Actually, enormously inspired by one of your countrymen, a kind of your countryman, uh, Hector Bebenko, who made Pichot uh, in Brazil. Uh, amazing film of street kids. And I remember seeing that film with Hector speaking about it at the Museum of Modern Art at MoMA, uh, New Directors. And when I sat there, it was 1985, and I sat there and heard him, and I thought to myself, God damn it, he can do it, I can do it. Mm. And I, you know, I had the courage from that film to make Salam Bombay, my first feature film, which became a big uh, hit. Uh, and uh, I became white. I t my black hair went totally white at the age of 29, <laughs> making this film. This is all expensive hair color. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, and then that movie, which was a life and death movie to make in terms of the difficulty of it, um, became a big s success and went everywhere and won Cannes and went to the Oscars and did all that. And then I had, you know, I had sort of a, a plate from which to go a begging again. <laughs> Your life would make a good movie. Please, please, David. <laughs> <laughs> Believe in selling tickets. <laughs> Our last question over here. Okay, one more question. Hi, thank you for being here. Oh, oh love, no. love. Okay. Um, can you talk about at what stage in the screenwriting process you get involved with and, um, or you get involved in at, and uh, anyway, um, yeah, do you, make, do you ever make any changes to the screenplay? Do you ever, is there something specific you look for in the script? And, oh. you know, okay. how does your involvement alter what we see on screen? Well, it's a broad question and it differs from uh, project to project. But uh, usually in my own films, I'm an independent filmmaker and I make and produce and direct pretty much my own stuff like Namesake or Monsoon Wedding and Salam Bombay, many films, Mississippi Masala, but those films originate often from my own ideas or a novel I've read which we buy and adapt and I'm fortunate to have a very a close friend, my best friend is Sunita Arapurwala who's my screenwriting collaborator and she's the screenwriter really and we understand each other so perfectly that it's a very collaborative and very fluid also process, but a very rigorous one as well. With a studio film or with an Amelia, I get offered a script, and in this case. And the script, I must say, the one I was offered, uh, I was not as interested in as her life as I knew it, you know, and as I could he read about in terms of the stuff she'd written and, and the newsreels and so on. And then I actually w brought in a writer I very much admire, Anna Hamilton Fellon, to come in and then we sort of charted a course that of a of the journey i mean it's hard with iconic image people like amelia because you have to be you should be totally truthful to the chronology of her actual life which is what we are but what you leave in what you take out all that stuff is a hugely immersed process you know and so anna wrote drafts and and then i would it was completely fluid right until editing you know where we are doing additional dialogue and we're doing so it's a uh, you know it's a very fluid and ongoing and deeply collaborative process yeah <laughs> she probably has a script for you to direct I know I was <laughs> <laughs> well i should say in addition to the movie there's a great companion book a really beautiful book yeah. uh, that has is it here uh, yeah. i i have my copy yeah, which yeah it's a beautiful uh, book that Rizzoli published that we all you know the the filmmakers made because it has great uh, pictures from the film and also amazing pictures of, of Amelia. real Amelia. and so recommend that and it's, as well and uh, i'm signing books uh, at Rizzoli on the 27th of okay. this month yeah okay well 
good luck. I know you're excited Thank about you. the film coming out. Uh, oh, so I good hope luck. You all see it, <laughs> good yeah. luck with it, and thanks Thank for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you.